Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Well, good morning, Mike. Good morning. So we uh, we don't usually tackle current events that often, but uh, recently with the $1.9 trillion uh, stimulus package, uh, it, it does spark a couple of thoughts in my head. And um, I'd like to just get your take on that. Uh, I, I've I've heard different kind of obviously different takes on not just a stimulus package, but how we view the deficit. And I know there are kind of political lenses to view that. Um, and so I'm just curious what what your lens is. How do you make sense of <laughs> the uh, the how do you, yeah how do you make oh, sense how of things I today? Make sense of it? <laughs> or how do you yeah? That's an entirely different subject. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I don't know, maybe we, we, we get into political realm here, but, um, maybe not, maybe politics aside. I don't know. I'm well, more curious. What's your politics. take? Yeah. What's your take on it? Yeah. So for listeners, we, every chance we get, we try to make some distinctions, which are helpful. And, uh, of course we ought to talk about politics from the Greek meaning Windex. Now from the Greek meaning, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's early in the morning. So if you don't like it, listener, just unplug, uh, <laughs> Comes from the you know, comes from mean city community, and uh, that's God three in one is the original community. So politics is good. Um, politicization is what we are, which is the idolizing the <laughs> the elevation of politics well beyond uh, how we should love it and makes it the end all. So we can solve everything politically and. We're, we're barreling toward that pretty rapidly is uh, regardless of your political affiliation or if you are the fastest growing percentage unaffiliated uh, we're right now on the uh, day of, uh, of one party rule so uh, the country right now is operating a lot like California so if you like what's happening in California you're probably pretty happy <laughs> so let's talk about this I still um, if I could recommend any book that's worth reading because it is highly readable by John Caves over with the London School of Economics and and it's called Other People's Money, The Real Business of Finance. Other People's Money. Where did he, where did he uh, take the uh, pull that phrase from? Familiar at all with that phrase? No. Yeah, it comes from Adam Smith's famous. Um, book uh, the wealth of the nations familiar with that book mm -hmm. <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, 1776 interestingly enough uh, wealth of the nations was written -na 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 -na. but most people aren't familiar with smith's first book which bookends these two bookends give us i think a, a pretty healthy view of money and that book was written in 1759 the very year that William Wilberforce was born and perhaps more importantly 
the year Guinness Brewery opened. Hmm. And that book is called The Theory of Moral Sentiments. You know, they just don't title books like they used to. <laughs> but The Theory of Moral Sentiments essentially makes the argument that only people of good conscience can produce a society which is uh, moral, does the right thing, does the right thing is second nature. That's what he meant by sentiments. Uh, proper affections would be perhaps how Edwards and others would call it. And that goes all the way then back to the biblical notion that uh, we are primarily desiring people uh, and we have to order our loves because as Augustine said, our loves are our gravitas, our gravity, and they pull us toward what we're ultimately going to do and who we're going to ultimately be. You have to properly order your loves. So that's 1759, and it's his model theory of moral sentiments. We said really the best hands and heart and what have you require um, a good healthy conscience. So once you have that in place, then you have 1776, which is called The Wealth of the Nations. We might have mentioned this before, but that title is drawn from? It is drawn from Scripture. Yeah. So it's drawn from the Old Testament, the idea that when we seek the flourishing of all, we're really seeking the wealth of the nations. But Smith rightly said wealth extends well beyond uh, money. And uh, it really does fit the idea of shalom, uh, which could be uh, translated a number of ways. But basically, uh, shalom, I would put it, as sociologists sort of say, is you have access, equal access to capital. And that would be... Uh, social capital, relational capital, educational capital, um, political capital, uh, financial capital, what have you. So what the uh, COVID has exposed is uh, a trifurcated nation where two of the three tribes, if you want to call them that, or races, do not have equal access. Now, equal access, by the way, does not mean equal outcomes. So one of the things that um, is driving this package we're going to talk about in a moment is this new notion of equity, which is um, equal outcomes. And perhaps we might even talk about that because that, that is not what you find in the Bible. So set that aside and we'll come back around to it if we have a moment, okay? So right now, first of all, we have to just start with a basic set. And the basic set is that... Uh, what Kay is going to bring out is other people's money drawn from wealth in the nations. So, first of all, hit the pause button. You with me? Yeah, I believe so. So, John Kay's book comes from the wealth of the nations, or it's it's uh, just has some relation to it, like wealth of the nations. Because Smith Riley says it's a different dynamic when you're working with other people's money. I see. You, I see. You tend not to take the care that you take with your own money. Got it. And so John Kay is picking up on, on that today. Yes, that this enormous industry called finance developed, really took off in the 20th century 
at which point 40% of Harvard graduates was going into finance, in which you actually don't make anything. You make money on other people's money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. Now, that of course, that has, that has benefit because you can, you, you know, you can pool other people's monies and then, re, and then uh, leverage them. Sure. So it's not, we're not saying it's entirely bad. And Kay, in fact, does some uh, financial consulting himself. But he, you'll see his most, he has two popular lines throughout the book. And the first one is this, uh, there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. And so he would think the explosion <clears throat> of the finance industry is too much of a good thing. Um, and that has to do with um, investors often kind of shrugging that, yeah, we lost a lot on that one. What do you mean we, white man, as uh, Tonto once said to the Lone Ranger as they were surrounded by whom we now call Native Americans when Lone Ranger said, looks like we're in trouble. He says, what do you mean me, white man? <laughs> and so because they take a percentage, uh, often in the investment world, they've done fine. Yeah. It's other people's money that took the hit. Hmm. And you don't feel it. So that's one problem. The other problem that he points out in the book, to, brilliant phrasing, is the attitude these days is, well, I'll be gone, you'll be gone. And that, my friends, is what came to mind when I saw the $1.9 trillion. Because what no one can answer is, how the hell are we ever going to pay for all this? Right. Yeah, it doesn't seem feasible. Now, this is where I've been intrigued a little bit because I've, I've talked to different people. They have different takes on the deficit. And, you know, one common, which I, I think maybe is simply uh, the subconscious thought that many have is, I mean, so what? So what? Like, do we are we really ever going to pay that down? Are we really ever going to uh, have to worry about our debt? And, you know, what's the big deal? And I, I think that's where many don't care how so what's your take on that well <laughs> i'm just uh, it's uh, again what they're telling you is is other people's money yeah if you well said yeah right you you take out a loan in your car let's just say you you i don't know make it up here but we'll go we'll shoot high so you buy a new tesla for I don't know, whatever they go for now. Let's say it's 45000 Which, by the way, all you Tesla listeners right now that are listening, I hope you're enjoying the car that I helped you buy. <laughs> Every taxpayer is helping you write off. We pick up $7,500 of that. I know that that subsidy expired, but I also know that Musk and GM and the rest are applying that it be re-upped again. God knows I'll probably win. <laughs> It's it's a so if you take out this loan, let's say your loan is what four thousand dollars, then one day you come home to your wife Maddie and say, "Hey, we don't have any money to pay the uh, to pay the uh, the payment." 
this month? What are you going to do? Run. <laughs> <laughs> you could do the old Steve Martin thing when <clears throat> don't pay your taxes. He says, here's how not to pay your taxes. Just, okay, first, you don't pay your taxes. Second, the IRS comes, knocks on the door, and you, here's what you say. I forgot. <laughs> and then when they get upset, you say, excuse me. <laughs> so it's an old Steve Martin. But the, it, it, again, we're dealing with other people's money. We're not dealing with our money. What happens? You, you lose the Tesla. Right. You lose your home. Or in the case of, again, while we've been doing this pop-up pantry, is uh, 80% of that population loses their job. That's real money. That's not other people's money. By the way, if you're undocumented, you don't qualify for that $1,900. So uh, the, the $1.9 trillion, which I've read somewhere, less than 10% actually goes to COVID-related things. There was a lot of, just to pay off unfunded liabilities and the pensions that are about to collapse, uh, union pensions uh, around the nation, stunning amount of uh, money for that. <clears throat> In other words, irresponsible projections. Uh, under investing in pensions and 20 years later uh, unions many of them are come from the state of Michigan have been riddled with corruption and they come to uh, Congress and say bail us out could you do that Pat if you couldn't make a mortgage pay on your payment on your home yeah not at all it's other people's money so the Stimulus, which had to be rushed through, many think, because the fact of the matter, the economy is actually revving up. So the last thing you want to do is do a stimulus when the economy is stimulated. So what does it really work out to be? The Malayan share is going to uh, political pork. It's constituencies that don't want to get bailed out from their debts or they want to um finance their projects and what have you so this came under the guise of a, of a stimulus but here's why it works so we're heading towards uh april 15 which is known as tax day which used to be tax day these days extensions galore mm. so april 15. now when do then a month or two later Americans get giddy if they get a refund. Now, this to me shows the bias of the left hemisphere, how, how 95% of the Western world biases the left hemisphere. And here's why. So I come to you and your wife and say, uh, I want you to give me $20,000. Just, just give it to me. Okay, I'm going to hold it for a year, Pat. I'm going to invest it. Had a good run this year in the market. So I'm going to make $1,000. Now, at the end of the year, Pat, I'm giving you back $3,000. And you're going to be giddy. What? You're taking $20,000 and you're giving me back three? This is what I mean by, you know, left... Uh, in a society that biases the left hemisphere, you're narrowly focused. And so what you're narrowly focused is, we got a $3,000 refund, we got a 
How much do the federal government and the state collectively withhold from you? Do you know what withholding mm. means? <laughs> I do. I see it in my pay statement. <laughs> That's right. And actually, I'm, 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 even the way I told the story is not correct. They don't come to you and ask. Hmm. It's not true. a choice. Yeah. I think it's one of the most brilliant things politicians ever did. Let's just have Pat Medi actually never touch the money. And then we keep a bunch, invest it, give them back a little, and they do cartwheels. <laughs> It's it's funny because it, it sounds so absurd when you're saying it, but it really is just so normal. If if I really felt that was my money, I would definitely care more what was done with it. That's right. It's yeah. just, uh, I don't know whoever thunk that thing up, but they probably won the Nobel Prize. <laughs> <laughs> How to steal candy from a baby, which is actually a terrible <laughs> idiom because if you ever try to steal candy from a baby... <laughs> does not go well. <laughs> it does not go well. Although, in, in theory, babies shouldn't be having candy in the first place. So <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's another podcast for another day. We're going to wag the finger at parents on that one. <laughs> so, uh, again, I, I've often, uh, a kid with my wife, I said, uh, okay, this is what it means to bias the left hemisphere. If you try to depict this in more than seven words, you get you, you watch eyes glaze over. Because the left hemisphere is narrowly focused. Give me that. Give me the quick answer. Let's get practical. So here's here's how this gum chomping left hemisphere, impatient, drumming finger. What happens is you go, oh, darn, I got to pay $500 uh, to the federal government at the end of the year. Come back, I owe them $500. That's brilliant. I mean, again, they should, whoever crafted this legislation should have won the Nobel Prize. You have owed them all year. You paid them $19,500. You just didn't pay them enough. But guess who had that money that all that year? You did. You have, you were going to pay them one way or another. Again, comes back to Steve Martin. Just try not paying your taxes. And eventually, they'll garnish your wages. They will get them. I mean, you see why people are moving to Florida. I think it's Texas and North Carolina. Because they think, well, at least you can't get some of them. Mm. But the fact of the matter is, the majority of the population can't move to those states. Second, if everybody moved to Florida, it would literally sink into the water. It would just go two feet underwater, and then they have to move again. <laughs> so it's it's a it's a indication of a of a society that biases the left hemisphere, which is narrowly focused, can only see the immediate, and the immediate is I got a refund. The immediate on COVID is I got fourteen hundred dollars. I got fourteen hundred dollars. You never ask a question, where'd it come from? Uh, it comes from this giant tree growing just outside of uh, Congress. It's right there on the big lawn. <laughs> where does it come from? Yeah, it comes from our, our kids, unlikely our kids' kids. 
Yeah, it comes from treasury. For example, social security. So we're getting close to the 100th anniversary, but still it's an, at this point, it's an 85 year, 84 year, 80, you know, 84 year experiment. How much money is in social security right now? What's the dollar amount? I have no idea. There you go. See, it's other people's. That's right. <laughs> now, let me ask you a question here. So if I ask you how much is in your savings, would you say, I have no idea? Mm, I would definitely would not. <laughs> so get ready, drum roll. Zero. There's no money in Social Security right now. It's entirely passed through. There's no money. The first recipient of the Social Security check, uh, the first recipient back in 1935, how much had she paid into the system? Got me. None. The system hadn't existed. She immediately benefited from a system she hadn't paid into. Hmm. So it's already running a deficit. Now it's had some seasons of, but the fact is there's no money in Social Security right now. It's called, listeners, write this down if you want to get a great little, uh, a useful phrase. It's an unfunded liability. What's that mean? We don't have money for it. <laughs> there you go. Now it's becoming your money, not other people's money. It's an unfunded liability. Social Security. The liability is they promised you that money. But they don't have it. Tucked away in the 1.9 trillion is promises made to pensioners by pensions run by financial wizards who made their money but made either outrageous projections or projections based on 1960s, which is quite often, which, uh, which uh, enjoyed its uh, periods of time, 7% returns, or ill-informed investments. And they did not put the proper amount that they supposedly withdrew from your check for your pension into the pension fund. Now the investors running it made their money, but the pension, the investment went south, well, it's other people's money. I'll be gone, you'll be gone. So who pays for that? Yeah, great question. Well, there's a little regulatory agency just inside the building where that big giant tree is going outside with uh, leaves that look like uh, $100 bills. And it's a, it is a pension guarantee regulatory agency. I'm, I'm boxing the name, but, but uh, when United Airlines went under many, many years ago, unfunded liabilities, 
50, 55% of the pension obligations, liabilities, were picked up by the federal government. Now, that's a nice way of putting it, the federal government. We picked them up, Pat. Every time you hop a flight on United, if that flight attendant gives you any gruff, <laughs> you're paying 55% of it. Because they can't grow money. They don't have this one tree just outside their headquarters. So you have these unfunded liabilities. And so... Um, and, and you know, the hard part is we're in a society that biases the left hemisphere is you just think my money, what I'm owed, I worked hard and you promised me. I don't give a damn if there ain't no money there. You promised me the money. Show me the money. So I'm following you. All of that makes sense. Uh, I mean, there are, yeah, there are a number of conflicts in my head. One is the the possible alternatives in the past. I mean, a lot of alternatives could have been uh, bad, if not plenty worse. Uh, let's take the United thing, for example. And I'm sure many would argue that it would have been far worse if all those people lost their jobs or I mean, not lost their jobs, but lost completely their pension and what would have happened to those individuals. And so, uh, yes. So I guess really, so what? So, so we're here now. Um, gosh, it sounds like we're never gonna get out of this hole. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> there are a lot of people that there is, uh, we actually, uh, uh, many years ago passed a threshold that no society who's ever gone this far in debt ever rebounded, ever came out. It's a slow, slow, uh, you, you just keep going to the bank and refinancing and re and extending out your debt and extending out your debt. See if it was your money. In other words, uh, you, let's say you come out of college and you owe 42,000 and you can't pay that. So you refinance that and this, Thing he's watched on cable TV one day. This, I went to this place and they they consolidated all my debts and blah blah blah, which is bull roar. Uh, you're still going to pay it, and so you 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 owe all these things. So you just extend it out. So, yeah, um, the these numbers people can quibble with. So, you know, just we're just paying with a broad brush here right now. But if you take unfunded liabilities. Then you take debt, personal debt, uh, federal debt, state debt, municipality debt, debt that private and public companies hold. The figures sometimes come out as high as like, I'm not okay. They, well, let's just say they go well past a hundred trillion dollars. Well, actually, let's round that up by one point nine. So, again, you can crucify me if you want, if the numbers are exact, but no one knows. But we could be looking at a debt that's north of $120 trillion. 
we have to service that debt. Who's holding most of that debt, that note? I don't know. China. So see, once again, in a narrowly focused, but mostly because they feel on the international scene, I mean, would you hold notes for the Iranian government? Being like, yeah, I'll get a return on that. They're, they're good to their word. Yep. I mean, no. There you go. Probably not. So, so because we are a country that still has reliable institutions on these matters, it's mostly China. God help us if China ever calls a note. But the, so if you have 18 trillion, so let's just round it back down. Um, let's say you make $18,000 a year and you have a mortgage out for $120,000 on your home. And uh, so with all the ancillary obligations that come with that, I mean, you've got a whopping amount of your income is already spoken for. You have no option, but that does mean you can't invest. You can't invest in your future. I mean, when I read the, I still can't believe this is true, but the average boomer, well, maybe because I live in the East Coast, maybe I'm insulated, but the average boomer has how much in savings? So I'm a boomer. And we were born from what, 1946, 1964. So we're, we are heading into, re, well, we're actually not heading into, we're deep into retirement. The average boomer has 25,000, 25,000. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Like talk about head in cloud. But, you know, let's just say you retired this year at 67. You can't. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You can't. So what are you going to do? And the amount that they have invested in anything that's going to return. So they're relying on social security. Which, by the way, how much is in Social Security? <laughs> Repeat after me. Zero. <laughs> so well, let's just say they're relying on Social Security, which is going to, um, let's just say, it, it will give them, if they hold out to the age 70, uh, let's say they, they give them $2,000 uh, a month, which in the magnificent generosity of federal and state government, they will tax that too. So they taxed it when you made it, then they withheld an amount, and then when they give it back to you, they tax it again. The little buggers. <laughs> so what do you what do you uh, what are you gonna do with that? Not much. You're gonna be you're gonna be on the federal dole or the state dole. Or because boomers actually experience the most prosperous brief period in American history. The uh, stock market by 1954, 55, returning to its level at 1929, and then kaboom, it was off to the races until Lyndon Johnson's Great Society. Um, and along with the ambition of NASA and the moon and Vietnam, just about down near bankrupt of the country. 
Now yesterday's, not yesterday's, but this week's 1.9 trillion in relative dollars is larger than anything Lyndon Johnson ever signed. But again, if you're in a society that biases the left hemisphere, everything I just said is, what? I'm getting $1,400. If you, the right hemisphere, the 5% of us that bias that is broadly vigilant. What's that mean? Watching out for, seeing what's coming, uh, yeah, broad. So you're obviously scanning the horizon. That's right. It, it doesn't mean you have great answers. You know, I find it's fascinating to me in the, here in the um, Lent season, uh, much of the lectionary readings take you right through these prophets again. We've just been going through Isaiah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, and Jeremiah. And Jeremiah notes that um, he said for 500 years, prophets have been coming to you telling you you're, you're idolatrous and you've ignored them. And so there is no way out. And uh, this past week, he details, he says, this beast from the north is going to come down and devastate this country, devastate you, Judah, your women, your men, your children, your temple, your city. Listen, it's not going to make a Hallmark movie what it looked like when Babylon came down. There's actually passages that say, they're going to come and rape your women. Now, you don't hear that preached anymore because we live in this therapeutic society that goes, no, 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 no. When I look at the 1.9 trillion, we're in a society that goes, no, 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 no. See no evil, hear no evil, say no evil. They want to hear it because God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. And we have been sowing, as they say in, in one of the prophets, you have sown the wind. You're now going to reap the whirlwind. And that whirlwind is now one stone is going to be left on this temple. This city is going to be burned, pillaged, destroyed. People are going to die gruesome deaths. And those who survive are going to be drugged by the nape of their neck up to Babylon to be slaves. That's not God. And I don't want to hear in the narrow, that focus of the biased left hemisphere. Sorry, I'm getting worked up here. But people on the, the biased the left hemisphere say, oh, that's the God of the Old Testament. That's the God of hate. We're the God of the New Testament. That's the God of love. I haven't seen any passage that says, so God went into the restroom and changed clothes and came out. <laughs> well, the other objection would be, you know, Mike, what you're talking about is moral uh, um, shortcomings, at the, to say it lightly, uh, versus like financial handling, mishandling. Uh, you know, are you saying that's the results for America because of the the way we've handled capital? Um, I think that that's that would be the pushback. Yeah, and I'm saying that's a funny distinction when Jesus singled out one thing that had God-like qualities and said, you can't serve that and God at the same time. 
and that. Yeah, riches. Mammon. The Babylonian term for, yes, money that gives you a sense of confidence. Like, (sighs) everything's okay. I got my 1400. (sighs) Life's good. Hmm. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a, a good widening the lens. Uh, cause when we think of our financial future, the reason we we're okay with 1.9 trillion, one of the reasons, and, uh, the fact that China holds most of our debt is because we are likely overly confident so much so that we, we look the other way that we don't care that we're not broadly vigilant, as you said. That's right. So what money can do, because uh, the, the God's preferred condition for all is affluence, which is different. That's the wealth of the nations, which extends beyond money. <clears throat> That's the condition. Money is the commodity. And so because of that, if it gives you a sense of, oh, life's better, I got $1,400. That's confidence. That is why Paul said to timothy you command those who are rich in your church it's a, it's the only time you see it's a military term it's not sort of like kind of encouraging you know to kind of think about it was you tell those who are rich in your church to stand at attention snap attention and go you be generous because their money is the only thing that can give you a sense of misplaced confidence misplaced confidence confidence is the greek word for trust faith misplaced faith i've got the money by the way bank of america guesstimates the vast majority of people who get the 1400 dollars. what will they do with it nothing no put the bank yeah. Yeah. Why? What's that telling you? They don't they don't need it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So again, we see the problem with central planning, the China model, the Soviet model. You know. Um you know, is there any uh uh yeah consideration for you know uh, subtle nuances here? No, that that would take uh, a biasing the right hemisphere. No, this is this is just the Soviet approach. Hey, Bolshevik, we are all getting 1,400 rubles. I don't need it. I don't care. We, we, can't, we, can't, we can't figure out here from Capitol Hill how you would determine for you know, 350, 60 million people who does and does it. You're all getting it. There's a little bit of sanity to saying, well, what about like if they exceed $150,000? Okay, comrades, we will do us that. But uh, yeah, the, the vast majority say they're just going to put it in the bank. What are they telling you? They don't need it. And then I'll go work at a pantry uh, this coming weekend. And the vast majority of those people, because they are in uh, landscaping, restaurants, um, they need it and they won't get it. That's the beauty of central planning. Now, there, as we talked about before, there's really only two ways out. 
and uh, if you're an economist and say, well, I listen to your podcast and you are an idiot, call me. I mean, let me know. <laughs> uh, I've been called an idiot before. That's okay. We raised three kids. You remember old Mark Twain's <laughs> famous saying? No, said, my dad, he, he used some profane language, but he said, my dad was an effing idiot. So I came home like when I was 21. It's amazing how much he had grown up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one school of thought is you can grow your way out of it, which technically that's true. So let's just say you have a, taken out a loan for $120,000 or $200,000 on a home, but next thing you know, you're making $40,000 and $60,000 and $80,000. And she could. That's possible. So the economy, which has not been growing at that rate, could um <laughs> i mean it's a lot of things <laughs> i just think okay good what are the odds uh, anyway that's one way the other is uh reminds me of george orwell's famous line that uh, government can do these things because it practices what's called obfuscation which I probably just butchered it because it's hard to say. Obvious, obvious. See, I can't even say it right now. <clears throat> but when you obfuscate, what's that word mean? <laughs> that was appropriate what it means. Yeah, isn't it uh, kind of confuse, blur, make, murky? That's right. Yeah. You fog it over. So that's called, I love this, quantitative easing, which, by the way, does sound mellow, doesn't it? Ah. Uh, quantitative easing it's a background yeah making my muscles feel better what is quantitative easing i you know i don't know printing more money you put more money in circulation and what does that do to the value of everyone's money right when we risk inflation and it makes everyone else's money less that's right <clears throat> that's the important thing is your money is worth less so not worthless worth less right. so you get fourteen hundred dollars but if tomorrow let's just say the government said you know we we owe 120 trillion and the uh, our annual gross domestic products around 18 16 17 18 trillion but we are going to dump 20 trillion into the economy. Your $1,400 probably just became worth 700 bucks. <clears throat> How do you like them apples? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not the best return. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it does solve the government's problem because it just took their 120 trillion or whatever number it doesn't matter right now right. like you know the famous saying we're not talking about money to up to a billion dollars but it took their debt and cut in half that's what the government can do that no one else can do print money now i know you're going to say oh no my neighbor next door he's been doing that in the basement for years <laughs> <laughs> but you get the point so they they can do what nobody else can do. And when you do that, you could literally print enough to erase your debt. Welcome to the, <clears throat> the Weimar Republic after World War I. Now, to be fair, the Treaty of Versailles after World War I, there was so much seething resentment in Germany 
but they saddled Germany with debts that were unpayable, un yeah. couldn't be done. And so uh, the only alternative by the Weimar Republic, they couldn't goose the economy enough. That's the uh, controversial uh, uh, point of Keynes, who said, you know, government stimulus, is, he calls it the, uh, it's a, it kind of gooses the economy. For every dollar, it gooses it $1.50. Now, there's a lot of research that says that ain't true, but it's a wonderful theory that's used by progressives. We dump 10 trillion in the economy, we're gonna create 15 trillion in gross domestic product. Yeah, okay. The other side of the coin is uh, you print money and inflation, as you said, takes off. It's wild. As you know, in the Weimar, in the worst days, people were using uh, Deutschmarks for wallpaper and they were putting the, the Deutschmarks in the bank uh, I mean, in, in wheelbarrows, wheelbarrowing them to banks when the new circulation, new dollars were printed to try to exchange them as fast as they could because they were they were just about worthless. And uh, a young uh, struggling artist leveraged all that seeding resentment uh, by the name of Adolf Hitler. So they never grew their way out. Nor did Britain, nor did France. And uh, Britain was nearly bankrupt, even at the start of World War II, as was Russia, as was France. And amazingly, in World War I, J.P. Morgan and his banks held most of the debt for what was happening in Europe in the war, which eventually sort of forced Wilson's hand to come in on the side of the English. So you don't grow your way out. You often have revolutions that literally what they do, Pat, is they say, okay, here's your bank account. Here's everybody's bank account. We just blew up all the banks. There's no more records. We're starting all over. How would you like them apples? Yeah, it's a little worrisome. So, I, you know, there's, you know, listeners, you know, another way out, but you to grow out or the government, uh, those quantitative easing, which I believe they've done six, seven, or eight over the last decade. And, uh, but again, if you're in a society that biases the left hemisphere, you don't think about it. Well, you made a good point. So the, the common analysis is that of a financial analysis. Like you said, there are two ways out of this. You know, you either uh, grow and be able to pay it or you, you nix it. But either way, even, even, the frame of which most approach this is, is left brain. It's narrowly focused. We're just talking about the financial impact. And so because of that, what most people are thinking about is oh, sure, but that's, that's all financial, whatever, what you're bringing into play here is, but you don't see one of those paths happen without some type of societal, uh, mass chaos. And, and, and you just pointed to those where, where there, there are these incidents where, because this, we're not just talking finances, this, this piece connects to the psychology of the citizens, it connects to the, the, uh, the social well-being overall. And so it's, at some point we've seen in, in history, when, when things get to this point, society begins to, to crumble. And like, those are the cases you just pointed out. Is, is that my understanding you correctly? Yes, yes. Primarily because rather than change habits, 
we uh, so for example <clears throat> there's a good little book called i think it's the, uh, the title is uh, rent but it's the idea that prior to uh, right around the uh, opening uh, decades of the 20th century uh, debt was presumed to be bad a general consensus in, in society debt was bad and people rented home ownership was there was no great value in home ownership you rented the government wanted to goose that so they created amongst other things um, uh, you get a, a mortgage interest deduction so those are called incentivized. Our government can incentivize. It can't compel you to do something. I mean, it can't coerce you, but it can, it can incentivize. And by incentivizing, and then I'm coming up with studies, some of them are spurious to theirs, uh, questioned. Uh, we are now uh, a nation of homeowners. But to do that, most people had to take on levels of debt that were unheard of in... Um, in, in society. So you, you'd have to have a change of habit. And the habit might be, hey, hun, uh, let's rent. So there was a movement for a while, I forget what it was called, um, uh, something capitalism. But the uh, notion was access is more important than ownership. Mm. So the super, now the super wealthy were doing that in terms of they were selling their private planes and jets because they began to realize, yeah, access is more important than ownership. I, can I at any moment get a net jet? You sure can. Well, look, honey, look how much it saves us. But again, those who are super wealthy also tend to bias the right hemisphere. They see bigger pictures, see bigger trends. They know how to leverage those things. I don't fault them for any of that. Um, it's Airbnb and VRBO and so on and so forth all kind of operate under this notion that access is more important than ownership hmm. but we've been in a society where ownership ownership of home um, and uh, it, it just it does, it's not free and so once you have two unconscious assumptions in the left hemisphere first of all it's other people's money second i'll be gone you'll be gone so elizabeth colbert k-o-l-b-e-r-t has a good book that's just come out whether or not you agree she thinks the, the question of the century will be climate change but her point is the average person goes yeah, that may be, but I'll be gone. You'll be gone. What's the name of her book? I'll have to look. Stay tuned for our next podcast. Um, <laughs> well, what am I doing that for? Google it. K-O-L-B-E-R-T. I'm going to write a column on it. Um, because a fascinating point where she says, here's what's driving the equation. Three things. We don't normally advertise for my columns, all right? But hey, this is our podcast. We can do what we want. <laughs> <laughs> she has the problem is, she quotes someone else and says, we have Neanderthal brains, 19th century institutions, and 21st century technologies. Hmm. 
And that has, those have coalesced to make this such that most people are going to go, not my problem. I'll be gone. Now, she's wrong about the first one. We don't have Neanderthal brains, but that's what you get in the post-Christian world is we actually have minds. By the way, brains, that's fascinating to me. That makes everything just simply material. But the fact that we have a mind is the immaterial, a conscience. And so if she had instead said, I don't expect her to say this, but this is an opportunity for Christians. If we had some cultural capital to say, well, actually, we're people with a capacity to be morally responsible, responsible. That is, we could actually have people at the table who widen the lens. A. B. Yes, we do have 19th century institutions. Where'd they come from? Oh, she said medieval. I'm sorry, medieval institutions. So I apologize. Erase the first part of that tape. I'm kidding. We have medieval institutions. Fascinating, she says that. Where, what, what does that mean, Pat? Many come from Christian faith tradition. That's right. That's uh, probably the great flowering of when the Christian faith was taken seriously, pre-enlightenment. We are now, for the last 500 years, the anti-institution world. I have direct access to God. I don't need no institution. I got the Holy Spirit. I got the Bible. I'm good to go. And um, so uh, if we had some cultural standing and weren't in exile, but this could be the opportunity where we get to one day make a case to Nebuchadnezzar and say, well, actually, you're made in the image of God. And you have moral responsibility. If you widen the lens, you can see we, are, we can respond to this morally. Second, Yes, we have medieval institutions. Where'd they come from? The notion that we're morally responsible and blah, 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 blah. And we do have 21st tech century technologies. Those technologies right now are operating autonomously. They operate under, we can do it. Let's do it. 5G, great. What about 10G? Even better. What about 20? Even better. Put it in the cloud, great. Morning cloud, awesome. No technology, which used to be a branch of moral philosophy, is now pretty much unhinged from that. So what, it, what does that mean? Well, Colbert points out in her book, rather than change habits, we try to engineer a technology. And so even something as small as Twitter, which Jack Dorsey started to um, you know, launched. But what a, what a crazy that this has become a non-fungible, non-fungible asset. I think someone bid like 1.2 million to get his first tweet, bought it. And, um, but it was all of this, this will bring the world together. And what, uh, 10, 20 years later, whenever, he's looking and saying, oh my God, what has happened? What, that's all right. Oh my God, what did happen? It's a, is it unhinged from a moral world technology? It was, if we can do it, let's do it. 140, 140 characters, great, awesome. 
and this 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 rarely computes with the average person in the tech world the average person people are giddy about the cloud i'm sure there's benefits to the cloud but the fact of the matter is has anybody ever seen the the power bill on the cloud <laughs> yeah no. the cooling alone <laughs> oh my god ball no because that would take widening the lens and and hey hey listen man uh I'm a, I'm a Christian. I've done well. I got a good return on it. Great. You got a good return on it. What about other, other people's money? What about the power bill on this thing? What about, no, I, 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 that's not important to me. What about, where is the, uh, where's the power going to come from? I don't know. I'll be gone. You'll be gone. Southwest uh, United States is going through two years of some of those severe drought ever. Some cattle men have lost a third, had to slaughter a third of their head. Uh, Utah, Colorado, uh, Arizona. Uh, Lake Mead is now 41% of its necessary power generating capacity, Lake Mead, Hoover Dam. Uh, within a year or two, it could be at critical level where they literally will have to turn off the water that goes out of the Colorado River, a river that used to many years ago go into the ocean, and now nothing makes it to the ocean. Every last freaking drop. Well, what's going to happen when they start taking away that water from, I don't know, Phoenix suburbs? Everyone's going to sit there and go, well, that's fine. Well, that's fascinating. Again, is is some of this think... Colbert's book? Yeah. Wow. So we don't think about this stuff. Because so she says it's the it's the question of the century. Now there's an again it's a macro. I get it, and some of the signs may or may not be questionable on climate. I get it, but uh, my son did a uh, works with Catholic Relief Services did a moving kind of documentary. You can go to Catholic Relief Services website and watch it on what climate change has done to coffee growers in Central America. How they've had to move up with, up the mountain to cooler climes, leave their families. Uh, you you watch that, and you watch the filth and the degradation of the environment, and you you sit there and go, "Yeah, not my problem. I'll be gone." I. I question whether or not you have an active conscience. Hmm. That's what Smith wrote about in the theory of moral sentiments. If you don't have an active conscience, then you will not pursue next book, Wealth in the Nations, and you will end up with other people's money. Hey, not my problem. I'll be gone. You'll be gone. 1.9 trillion has mean anything to me. Here's what here's what matters. Fourteen hundred dollars.